Hello everybody, welcome to another edition of one of our interview podcast specials over here on Riot Act Podcast. My name for those who are just joining us is Renfrew Deadman and it's been a short while over here on the specials feed. We've not put out one since February I think when Steve had an excellent chat with Mr Stephen Wilson about his new album The Future Bites. Um, we took a little bit of a back seat on these specials with the pandemic uh, purely because recording remotely with guests who are most likely using very different equipment to our own can be a bit of a ball ache it must be said and um this one was no exception if i'm being totally honest but it was absolutely worth it a couple of weeks ago i got to sit down with bosk bassist tom begley and talk about their second full-length studio album migration now it probably won't be a massive surprise to long-time listeners of the show that I am a big fan of Bosk and their whole oeuvre, but in particular, as I mentioned in this chat, 2016's Audio Noir, which I think is an absolutely stunning record. I'm pleased to report that Migration, which is out digitally this Friday, if you're listening to this podcast the week that it comes out, is a fantastic follow-up, which is a bit of a spoiler alert for the review that will be coming up on Friday's show. But at the same time, it might not be exactly what fans are expecting. We talk about that a little bit. We also talk about the involvement of Japanese noise act Endon, who were an absolutely ferocious band. I recommend that anyone check out their last album, Boy Meets Girl, if you're not already familiar with them. We talk about the vocal contributions on the album from Johannes Persson from Cult of Luna and Josh McEwen of Palm Reader, both bands we regularly talk about with high praise on this show. We also talk about the delays with the vinyl that Bosk have been very, very vocal about on those socials and go into a little detour about uh, vinyl processing plants and uh, how vinyl is manufactured which I promise you is more interesting than it sounds um, we also talk about the future of Bosk and the fact that even more new music may well be appearing sooner than you might think Bosk fans have become very accustomed to waiting for things this is a band who technically released their debut full-length album 11 years after they formed uh, but as is often the case it means you often get something very special at the end of it and uh, migration is no exception before we start i just wanted to give a quick thanks to tom for doing this interview with us he really kindly gave us a, a sort of uk exclusive on this one you won't hear or read about this story in many other places and i think it'll probably become clear why once you start listening it's not the sort of story that you want to endlessly repeat over and over and over again to journalists um, and it's also a story that you want to tell a journalist who you can trust. And Tom felt that I was the right guy and Riot Act was the right platform for that job, which is a very humbling thing to hear indeed. So thank you, Tom. Uh, thanks also to Stephanie, Jake and everyone at Deathwish who signed off on this being a good idea. So without further ado... Here's my chat with Tom on migration. And I am very happy to say all the way from Sheffield, we have Tom Begley, the boss band behind Bosk. <laughs> is, that, is that how I can introduce that? That's, enough, yep, that's, that's a great one, that, yeah. <laughs> I'm totally fine with that intro, that's great. <laughs> how are you doing today, man? I'm very well, sir, very well. Good to talk good. to you. Yeah, it's good to see you, man. It's been a little while, what with this whole pandemic thing you might have heard of it we'll probably yeah, talk I'm about familiar, that I'm familiar later. yeah I've heard of it yeah. <laughs> you could say that um but let's talk migration first before we get into yeah. all that shit 
Um, I mean, the genesis for this album was a very, very different process from Audio Noir. Uh, so let's go back, right back to the beginning and tell me about the trip that you made to Japan that started the process for this album. Um, well, it's somewhere that I've always been a fan of. I went in 2012, I think, or 2011 with Your Demise for the first time. Nice. When I was when I was working and uh, had a really good time, loved it there. It was like... I'm a big fan of all the culture and all the food and all the music there has always really interested me. I should probably point that, out to listeners, just in case they don't know, you you tour manage on the side. Okay, well, well, I used to, yeah, okay. occasionally. Yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, Currently, the moment my tour managing resume is pretty blue. <laughs> yeah. For a while, it was pretty good, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, so I, went, I, I actually got to go back again a few years later in 2018 when I was with a band called Mutoid Man who was supporting Sleep. Mm-hmm. We were doing um, the first time they ever did Holy Mountain in full. Um, was in Japan first part of the like the it's called and uh, uh, leave us behind tour they do it every year it's part of the Demo records uh Tadashi who's like the main guy at the Demo he does like a kind of festival sort of tour around Japan with like four or five bands that have different Japanese bands opening okay. um I think on this one it was a band called Friendship Endon did a couple of shows and there was some other band too that was really good and Boris did a couple as well mm. so the I remember just watching uh sound check one day i think he was in osaka with that was the first show that endon did and just watching him sound check individually i'd never heard of them before and they instantly made an impression on me because of the just sheer level of noise that was created and it was madness i genuinely it was unnerving to be in the room while they were sound checking it was just like what is happening i had not heard of endon just like you at the time i, I hadn't heard of endon at all and you kind of pointed me in the direction of one of their records and i was listening to it like not long after I woke up this morning with my cup of coffee and <laughs> me, it's oppressive, it's a, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> like, it's hard. It's definitely tough on the old eardrums. It's like yeah. very overwhelming and live. Honestly, it's even more insane. I can only imagine. It's almost difficult to watch. So describe exactly what that end on live experience is like, because it's very untraditional. Yeah, they don't have a bass player. They've got two, so they're two sample guys, a guitar player, a singer and a drummer. But like I was just really when we were coming up with the concept of what of what this next record was going to be, we were sort of toying with the idea of like a collaborative, some sort of uh, work with some other band on on it. But we we were umming and ahhing constantly about who, and what and how. And then it just sort of like popped into my head that it would be kind of cool to do like a industrial like noise, like crazy sounding stuff that we've never really done before. We've always had like different atmospherics and like chilled elements and heavy elements we've never really gone like full chaos like we've never really gone down that line before that industrial noise route i think is what you're saying specifically yeah there's some bands that use it quite well yeah like there's there's bands like full of hell that incorporate some of that kind of stuff and boris obviously has lots of stuff like that there's lots of bands that we've we've been fans of for a long time that have sort of come in touch with those kind of things like we're all massive nine inch nails fans for various different versions of Nine Inch Nails. Some of us like all the piano stuff. Some of us like the really weird electro stuff. And some of us like the super harsh, industrial, noisy bits. But And we were kind of looking for a way of doing that without just trying to do our version of the fragile or whatever. You know what I mean? Like uh, trying to incorporate elements that we, like electronic and digital and like that kind of sound into Bosque songs, Mm. I thought would quite work quite well. Um, but I do remember sending Rob, our guitar player, who was like the main songwriter, 
I remember being like, me and him were talking about it while I was in Japan. I was like, yo, I found this band that I think could be perfect to do this album with. Like, check it out and let me know what you think. And I sent him a link to it and he was like, am I listening to the right band? <laughs> He's like, what the fuck is this? He's just like, how are we going to do a collab? I was like, no, 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 no. Like, thinking, he was like, I can't play guitar like that is his first thing he said. He was like, I can't play that fast. I was like, no, no, no. Because he obviously like put the album on, listened to one song and then was just like, Jesus, what the fuck am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> and I was like, no, no, no. I was like, think past that. Think, listen to it. Like, listen to what's going on in the songs. Like, I know it's fast. I know it's heavy. The drummer in Endon is an absolute animal. Mm. And, it was, and he misunderstood what I meant at first. I was like, no, no, no. I was like, listen to the elements that make up that wall of sound. Like, it's we were trying to pick apart the bits, and then it, it made it did make more sense as we looked as we looked at it. But for his first impression was like, I can't be listening to the right band here. There's no way. What the hell? Like, no. But then, but I quite like the challenge of being like, well, yeah, because it'd be easy for us to go and do a collaborative thing with a band that sounds like us. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, okay, cool. Here's your delay pedal or whatever. Uh, and we wanted it to be a little bit more challenging than that. And I think picking a band like Endon to use as a sort of starting point for it really made a difference. Well, the most interesting collaborations are the ones where, like, I mean, a recent one that I adored was Thou and Emma Ruth Rundle, for example. Exactly. Yeah, those two artists are so different from So different. And yeah. yet they kind of have an ethos, which is quite similar. Yeah. So I think that's kind of the, you know, Neurosis and Jarbo is probably exactly. quite a good example. Yep. Um, and actually Endon, I noticed just doing a bit of... Uh, research on them did one with um boris which i've yeah. not listened to but i imagine it's probably it's intense brilliant yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. it's really good yeah but we, we wanted to like the, the the project started in that way so it was like we wanted to build something that was like uh because when when we do an when in most bands do an album you, you kind of record it you go right cool that was good sweet i like all these songs this is cool mm -hmm. and you go right you submit it's like a very simple process once you've finished it mm. um and this was a bit more like, all right, how difficult for ourselves can we make it? Because <laughs> we didn't want to just go, right, or should we have another go at recording seven songs? It didn't feel quite like, I don't know, for the follow-up to an album that's been successful is always going to be difficult. And the follow-up to an, any album that you've, you're really proud of is going to be hard to, you can't just go, well, let's just do that again. Mm even though we did enjoy it and we did really, we wanted to, to, to make the process of doing the next record more interesting for us. We wanted to do something that we hadn't done before. You know, we've done two track EPs. We've done a split with another band. We've done our own album. And we were trying to think of like, well, what have we not done? Like, what have we not had a go at? Like, let's let's try and do that. And it was like, well, no, there's a reason. We found out the reason why bands don't, bands don't do many of these is because it's a fucking nightmare. <laughs> it's so difficult, Jesus. About halfway through the first process, we were just like, eh, should we just, should we just, uh, should we just write our own album instead? Should we just, this might be a little bit too much work, this, but let's keep going. Uh, we will get into all of that. There's, a, there's something I really admire about that because you know, audio noir in in the circles where it's going to be successful was very, very successful. You know, yeah. like, um, I mean, I, I've said on this podcast before it's one of my favorite i'm just going to broadly call it a post-metal record if you don't mind yeah you know. call it whatever you want, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um like it's one of my favorite post-metal records of the last 10 20 years i think yeah we're very, it's it's a great record we're very proud of it and but it mm. came but the, the the formation of some of those songs were already existed before 
uh, we sat and wrote it. So like some of, there was like a couple of elements, there's a couple of bits in the first song that would already existed for years that were in the pile of like songwriting ideas that we never finished. Mm. So when we did that album, we already sort of had like a head start on it mm. a bit, like in the terms of like, we didn't just sit in the practice room and look at each other and go, right, what do we do now? So writing that was quite, uh, I don't know. It was a process that we couldn't re recreate even if we wanted to, I don't mm. think. Because mm. it was, you can't really, once you do another album, it's like, well, do we just go back and revisit the pool of shit ideas that we've got left over? Or do we just <laughs> scrap that and go get, like, we wanted to start it with like, well, we haven't got any ideas, have we? Has anyone got any riffs? No, we've used them all. We've just used them all on the, <laughs> the like, have we got any in, any in the bank? Like, everyone look at the Dropbox. Is there anything in there that's like worth like dragging out the bin that we didn't use an Audio Noir? And everyone just went, we're not doing that. But it is, it, it's admirable. The, I think the point I'm trying to make is it's admirable because uh, uh, that most bands, if they'd had a successful first record, would basically just try and copy that again. So yeah, the fact, or even, so the fact yeah. that you started from a place where you've thrown all of that away. Yeah, we were literally like, well, no, we don't, because we go, you know, when you write, we write, I mean, our songs are pretty long and there's quite a lot mm. of riffs. So mm. in terms of some, like, writing those down in pieces, if someone comes up with an idea or a little bit or like a 10 second riff, Sometimes it gets recorded and go, right, we'll keep that. We'll put mm. that in the pile of chuggy riffs or we'll keep that in the pile of like spacey bits or whatever. But like when you do a full album, you kind of exhaust all of that stuff and then you have to write new stuff to go with it to fill in all the gaps that you don't have anything for. So when you finish doing the record, the stuff that's left over, you've already decided it wasn't going to make, you know what I mean? It was like, well, if it wasn't going to go on Audio Noir, then what's the point? It can kind of go in the bin. Mm. So we didn't want to end up going through the the, the pickings of the lem remnants of the last album to mm. start the process, which is something that we definitely didn't want to do. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, how do we go about it in a way that we can't do that? How do we make it so we can't just recycle something that we didn't use? Oh, this was something cool from Audio Noir. No. So that's why we approached it with this like noise foundation of like uncomfortable feedback and just obscure clicking and we like the sonic textures that we built the base of the record off. When I remember Rob, when he first got it, when, when I first sold him on the idea when they were like, okay, this sounds crazy, but all right, let's try. Because um, no one really has any better ideas either. That was the other thing. It was like, well, <laughs> and we were all going, well, what, this sounds mental. Why would you want to do a collaborative album with a band from Japan? That makes no sense. Like steady on, like, come on. Mm. Uh, and then the more we opened the door to it, the more we were like, okay, like, all right, Rob, I remember the first time Rob listened to the noise stuff that I sent him, he was just like, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, is this supposed to be a song? Like, yeah. Well, this no, and it was like, no, it's like the foundations of the song. You put the song on the top. Yeah, this almost feels... I'm not even sure if this is a good question, mate, but do what you can with it. I mean, you're receiving these tracks of essentially noise and i don't yeah. mean that in a disparaging no, it's a, way yeah there's but, two ways to look at it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah i don't mean that in a disparaging way but yeah um i mean how do you even go about writing something over the top of that it was quite difficult <laughs> at first wasn't it i'm guessing yeah the first version of it because the way that we did it the first time is that i sent them like a very loose idea of like track one we want it to be chill we wanted to start mellow have some sort of beat in there maybe like we would use references like apex twin or massive attack or okay. like glitchy like fortet or like all these kind of references that we were talking about to fit the frame of what we wanted the so each song to kind of go like so it wasn't just random noise it wasn't just like random anything almost like storyboarding of yeah exactly that like exactly that. like yeah, that yeah, yeah, exactly okay. like that to give them some sort of direction being like and like we were referenced like noises from movies or like 
there was, you know, the noise, the clicking noise that the aliens make in aliens, like mm. that noise. We all use that as a reference, and there's there's really obvious parts of it in a couple of the songs where they were like, ah, that's what that. And it's like a it's like a weird oscillating. Okay. Okay. Like Pink Floyd use it in time too. You know where the clock, you know the clocks, all those kind of elements in Pink Floyd. We were referencing some of that too for the like quieter bits, the more mellow bits. So when we got the first lot of like tracks from Endon, it was more organized than just like nonsense. Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah, a bit yeah. more like here's track one and each of the noise sample guys and end on both get the version of each song mm. but their their sounds are very different um but they're also combined combining the two i remember the first time i listened to both tracks that they sent me in each song full pelt at home on my own and it was like oh my god <laughs> it was like i had to have a quiet sit down afterwards and i was just like fucking hell I've just listened to forty-five minutes of what sounded like madness. What what was that? What was that song out of interest? It was the first song, the White Stork song. Yeah, the first song off the album because I wanted to listen to it like in order, in sequence, to yes. see if they actually followed what I asked them to do. If you know what I mean. So it was like, <laughs> okay, it does match up with this little weird blueprint that we sent them. Yeah, because it meant that Rob could then be like, oh, because when we sent, once we got that, we had two separate tracks, right? So then we like separated them both, mm. and then Rob essentially used one or other to start the song mm -hmm. so he would just listen to which bits of each version sounded the best and he would just bring one of them to the front or one of them to back as the song went so he like essentially then mixed their two noise tracks entwined with each other so you were getting two separate tracks from two separate members of it. yeah and then the song okay. sort of the first the first song on the album is basically because that's where we started with it. Mm -hmm. Everything else kind of followed from there. And that's why that song is so weird sounding is because it that's us going, right, okay, should we give this a go then? Like, where are we going? <laughs> the song at the beginning is kind of like, where is this going? Yeah. I mean, I mean, on first listen, yeah, it was. It was like, okay, this is new territory. Yeah, when you push play on the first one, you're like, what's this? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah um, that's the whole point of that song because that's kind of how we wrote the album. And then once we sort of polished that and like formed that song into kind of how it sounds then we were like ah oh, now and now once rob had sort of figured out how to incorporate the noisy bits into our stuff the second song was like straight away like how about this there we go and there was men here was the second song straight away so it was like ah there we go okay okay and of course men here you've got um johannes from uh, cold mm -hmm. luna collaborating which i think is a, a fairly obvious collaboration when you consider you know I, there's obviously a lot of cult of luna worship in what bosk do and again always yeah i mean they're a huge part they have been a huge part of our band like when, yeah. we were, when we were like young little stoned kids when we were like 17 before we'd even really come up with the idea of even doing Bosque, we were all, you know, we went to see him in London. I think I saw him supporting Poison the Well at the Mean Fiddler or something. Oh, nice. On the Beyond tour. Nice. And I'd never heard him before, and they literally blew our minds. Yeah. There was, I think it was Poison the Well. It was either Poison the Well or Every Time I Die or something. They toured with one of those bands back in the day, and it was like, they were not really supposed to be on that bill. It was a weird combo. I think it was Earache or something they were on at the time. Right. But I just remember discovering Cult of Luna like that, like not from like being a doom guy or like listening to that kind of shit. I was listening to like mostly metal and like Pantera and Hatebreed and stuff. I was and like down was about as like stoner as I got, you know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. seeing a band like Cold of Luna at like 17, 18, whatever, we were like, whoa. Yeah. 
And that's always something that we wanted to try and not replicate, but like emanate. So like when we were doing our early shows, we would always remember when bleeding, remember when bleeding through took cold flune on tour. Remember that? Yeah. So like something like that, we've always sort of looked at that being like, I know Carl Luna hated that tour. I think actually they said it was fucking bullshit. But <laughs> the fact that they were like up for doing it, it was kind of why back in the day we were playing with all these like random breakdown bands or like metalcore and hardcore bands is because it was like, well, no, because that's how we discovered Cult of Luna is that we were one of those little, I don't know, evergreen terrorist fans or whatever. And then all of a sudden you're like, what's this? This is cool. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's always been quite a big part of the band. Like, I'd always want to be—I don't want to just play to doomheads that are going to like us. Hmm. I want to play those kind of gigs. And Cold Luna was always a big influence, and even just the early stages of playing shows for us. So yeah, yeah the big, big influence. That's sort of refreshing to hear coming from a band who play the kind of music that you do, because I think the impression would be that like a lot of bands in this scene just want to. Uh, remain as underground and as cult as possible and you know you're not mm. you're not saying that you want to be on radio one or anything like that but you are saying that you want to appeal to people who might not necessarily listen to that kind of thing massively we are there's plenty of bands i mean we don't forget also we've been doing this for what feels like five thousand years <laughs> so when we were kids like when we were first starting this band when we were 18 the scene for that kind of music was extremely underground like mm you know o- oceanic era like that kind of mid 2000 like 2004 to 2006 that music hydrohead and stuff like that and you know the, the tail end of like botch and dillinger and those kind yeah. of bands and yeah like dillinger escape Plan was a great example of like a band that was extremely obtuse and really heavy that mm-hmm. progressed into like the, the transition to like miss machine and stuff like that we were really into all those bands, and we would. I first saw Dillinger Escape Plan supporting System of a Down. So did I. Yeah. So, so did I. Was I. Like, I was like, and I remember that. that that kind of is the kind of the references that we always and all of us as kids, and sure anybody that likes music really has those kind of experiences when they go to see a band like System of a Down, and then uh, Dillinger Escape Plan open with like forty three percent burn or something, whatever mm. it was. Mm. And I literally remember standing in the crowd at Brixton Academy and like, Jesus Christ, yeah. Yeah. what the hell is going on here? Yeah, And like, we've always wanted to kind of have that put the other way around, you know? So like, if we would play with these bands, we played a hardcore all day in Nottingham at the Old Angel, I think in like 2007. And we were the only band that played longer than 20 minutes and we only played one song. <laughs> so it was like those kind of gigs where we were like, at the time we were like, this is kind of pointless, isn't it? Like, what are we doing playing Moody Stoner Doom like experimental songs in the middle of like, essentially like power violence mm. you know what i mean it was like mm. but 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 those kind of shows you remember seeing a band like bosk on the bill like that because of that because of the difference yeah the difference sometimes makes the difference like i'm sure you i'm sure you've been to all day as back in the day it was like an absolute free-for-all and sometimes it was like 15 bands that sound the same one after the yes. other yes. yes there was a huge boom in those gigs back then where everyone was booking fucking hell it was like do you remember there was like the purple turtle used to do them all the time and like mm-hmm. those yeah. kind of all days at the underworld and stuff like that. Yeah. And yeah. we would get on some of those bills and we'd be on like third at like two in the afternoon in, after like clone the fragile or whatever. <laughs> and it'd just be like, what are we doing here? Like it, it always felt like, but we always loved playing those shows. Cause we just turn all the lights off, put the incense on, set all the blue lights up and yeah. just fucking get yeah. stoned. It was great. And we didn't yeah. really give a shit that we were playing to like hardcore kids that probably did not like us. Yeah. We didn't really care. And like, we've always tried to carry that because we always still talk about stuff like that. Like the funny, the, some of the best gigs we've ever done are the ones that we remember the most. 
Like we, we've done a lot of shows over the last 15 years, but it's like the ones that we all internally remember are the ones where we got like booed off stage in Bristol or like, you know, like just abused for like being too slow or whatever. And like, you remember all the good gigs for them being awesome, but the, the ones that are like weird that you shouldn't have been on or like, what was the point of that? The ones you actually sort of remember. It's weird because, like, I, as I said, I'm so glad you mentioned that system of down Dillinger escape plan thing. Cause I have talked about this on the show before, but I was uh, 17 when I saw yeah. the show. I actually saw it at Birmingham Academy rather than Bristol, yeah. Brixton. And the uh, response to Dillinger Escape Plan, I mean, they were getting bottled. Yeah, getting it was mental. Like, most, most of System's fans did not get not, They were not into it. At Brixton, and, they got bottled. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I've never been the kind to bottle any bands, you know, because I just think that's a bit shite. But yeah. I, like, at that time, I think the heaviest band I listened to was Slayer. Do you know yeah, what exactly. I mean? Yeah, so exactly. I didn't get Dillinger no, at all. Neither did I. Didn't get it. And I years, wanted to. I wanted mm, to though. Yeah, and then and it took it took a, another like four or five years before I properly came around to it. And you know now they are one of my favorite bands. Ever. Yeah. So, um, so that sort of thing is really really important. I think. You know, I, th- really I agree. Important. Like I want to pick up in terms of like when you say like we've all, we're picking up like a new audience or whatever. I, I always think that the, you know, as much as without being uh, derogatory to it, but like the. The chin scratching stoner fucking roadburn doom beard patch jacket guy is gonna like our band. Like it's, it's mm. just gonna act like you know what I mean. Like yeah. it's not. I'm not saying that we don't have to win over those people, but it's like it's uh, not. I don't know how to put it. But like that's not very challenging, is it? It's like it's here, here's it's our new album. You, you're gonna yeah. like it. I would much yeah. rather be like, oh, we remain support to the Kaiser Chiefs or something. You know what I mean? And then it'd be like, <laughs> wow, the fuck, like. But I think that's only some bands can get away with it. And I think at the time yeah. when Dillinger did that tour, they're a great example of a band that they probably will remember every show on that tour. Yeah. But, and bet. it was like, yeah. they probably went out on stage every night. It's like, right, here we go, boys. Like, let's fucking yeah. kick the face off this. Well, that was the brilliant thing. They were so antagonistic. Oh, it was it. brilliant. You know, it was like... brilliant. How they dealt with it was amazing. And it really yeah. like, impact. and like, and we're the sort of same kind of, we're well, not in the same way, but like we would play those shows and people would be like shouting, hurry up, where's the vocal? You'd, there was one show in Bristol once, we played this fucking shithole pub in like playing with some punk band. Like they sounded like Discharge, this band that we played with. Right. I forget, it was like a filler show or something. And there was one bit in the in the first song off the first album, there's like a really quiet bit where like in the middle where it goes really peaceful and the, before the drums kick back in. And there's this one bit where we could literally couldn't concentrate because people were going, boring, we're fucking play faster. Like different people like chipping in with like, boo, bullshit. And like, I just remember our guitar player looking over at me and just being like, I can't, where are we in the song? Like, we sort of just like all stalled on stage. Just like the heckling like put us off. Yeah. We were just like, anyone know where we are? No, we just like looked at each other and then we were just kind of, it doesn't really matter. No one's really into it. So we just stopped. <laughs> it sounded like the song had like, you know, ended anyway. So we're just like, should we just, yeah. That's Amazing. it. Nice one. Thanks everybody. <laughs> Boo. All right, cool. Let's get back in the van, shall we? Quick. <laughs> um, so let's jump back to Japan a little bit. Yeah. Um, we, uh, this this album is being released as a Bosk record yes. rather than a, a Bosk and Endon record. Yes. And, and I was wondering if you could sort of uh, explain the reasons behind that. Well, I mean, the, the, the concept of the album and the initial stages of it ended up being a little bit different to what we ended up with in the final thing. So 
Um, and that, there's a lot of reasons why that is. Um, mm. Endon, uh, I had the, it's, there's three members of the band that perform on the migration record. Uh, the two sample guys and the guitar player are on almost all the songs. Etsuo and Taro are the two electronic guys, are like the samples and synth and noise making guys in, in Endon, and they're on every song. Okay. And the guitar player plays on maybe three, three of the songs, I think it is. Okay. Um, but Etsuo from Endon passed away in the middle of lockdown last year. Um, right, which okay. really threw the whole project into this weird, like, don't really know what's going on phase because um, they didn't even really know if they were going to be a band anymore. They don't really know. I mean, it's such a, it was such a blow to the band. They were just kind of like, everything is paused. Like, everything is, like, not cancelled, but, like, we need to take this. None of this matters anymore. Uh, yeah. We're going to just wait and see. So we still don't really know what is going to be the uh, result of all that, like what the future for the band, for their band is. And we didn't really feel it was fair or right to kind of like, that's their, um, that's their own personal uh, thing to deal with. So we didn't really want to like push the band back. Like, cause if they decide to never be end on again and that's it, you know, they, they're not continuing. Then we didn't want to like draw too much attention to that. If you know what I mean? Cause it was, mm -hmm. It is about that and like their contributions to the record are what some of the reasons what makes it so unique and so different and so strange. But at the same time, it is our it is our album and it's and it's a very personal thing to us now. So it's a it was it was a difficult process getting around what we needed to do with that. But the the, the collaborative efforts of them in the songs also sort of then opened the door to in bringing in other people to collaborate on it because We'd not really done that before. That was another thing that we'd not done. We've never had a guest vocalist. We've never had a guest anybody. We've never had anybody outside the band, except for maybe Martin Ruffin, the guy that recorded it. We've never had anybody feature on any song ever. Mm -hmm. So that was another that was another thing that we were really actually quite into the idea of doing, uh, which at first wasn't our intention. But then it was like, okay, well, what else can we do with this to bring some more stuff to it that we haven't done? Mm. So we ended up just being like, look, we're just going to do this as a Bosque album. It's a different Bosque album. It's not going to be just a follow-up to Audio Noir. Sam, our singer, isn't on the record at all because he had a bunch of uh, other medical issues that were preventing him from flying. And also, don't forget, we were we recorded after Arc Tangent in 20... What year would it be? 18? 18? 19? No, 19. Maybe 19, yeah. I yeah, always have this right. mathematical process where it's like, how many years ago was it plus one Corona? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My brain sort of lost a year. Yeah, same, counting. same, man. It and was like, 18 or 19. It was one of them. Yeah. So we recorded it. We went in the studio and started tracking right away. And it was supposed to, we'd, or by that point, we'd already got all the stuff from End On that we needed to start recording, etc. But we actually recorded the album right after Arctangent. And Sam had to go home. He performed with us at Arctangent, but he was actually coming over to find out if he could have some of his uh, healthcare stuff done in the UK rather than having it done. He lives in California. So there was this weird limbo period where we weren't really sure if he was even going to be able to be on the album, even though we'd started recording it. So we'd like we'd already started recording the first song because we, we were limited with the time frame because I was on tour so much. Mm. We were limited with like, okay, when can we do the studio? When can we get the first chunk? Drums obviously take ages in our band for some mad reason. Uh, well, everything takes ages in our band to be honest when it comes to recording, but. So we were really conscious of like, let's just book the time and make it work with that mm. rather than going, well, let's wait until we're fully ready and then book the time, which is what we normally would do. But this time it was like, no, we're ready enough. Let's go. Let's commit to recording. 
if as soon as we start recording, the rest of it will like pull itself into place. Like mm -hmm. there was a lot of unknown bits to some of the songs where it was like, there was holes in the whole record. So, but we knew that we had the general idea and like we were knew that we were confident enough with it that we could just start recording. Mm. So then when we found that Sam wasn't going to be on it, we'd already recorded nearly all of it. Right. So then we had to kind of adjust it. I was like, okay, well, if Sam isn't going to be on the album, what do we do? Do we just keep the album as it is, instrumental every track, or do we get Endon's vocalist to do some vocals? That was the first thing that we discussed. We were like, maybe we should get the guy from Endon to do his vocals on all of it. But then because his vocals are so abrasive and so harsh, mm. we were like, it doesn't fit. We were like, it could fit in conjunction with Sam's vocals. That was always the plan. So Sam was going to sing and the Endon guy was going to like do that. But without Sam's vocal, it was like, it's not going to work with just his. Yeah, you need the sort of the juxtaposition between the two or the, the two bouncing off of each other. That was the idea, yeah. yeah, yeah Originally, yeah. both their vocalist and our vocalist was going to be on the album in the first place. But when that wasn't wasn't happening, we were like, okay, well, that's not going to work. So what else can we do? And then I immediately, without even really thinking about it, I was like, let's get your hands on that second song. Mm -hmm. Like, there you go. Mm -hmm. And everyone just kind of went, oh, yeah, that would actually be pretty sick, yeah. Mm. okay and then it was a really easy really easy decision process with that it was like we can't do it how we want for like the fourth different version of the, can't do it how we want that's mm. the other thing it was like this is what the plan is oh we can't do that so we've got to change what we're doing without changing the overall record too much yeah we had to like adapt it to fit we always kind of knew that men here would have vocals and we always really wanted htv to have vocals too but we mm. couldn't quite work out how so it kind of we kind of did it as we went along a little bit weirdly, which is not really our style to be honest either. But well, the best bands have learned, uh, have had to learn how to adapt, especially with the last year, year and a half. Yeah, well, fuck. Other. I mean, yeah, yeah. It was literally like we can, if we keep, if we're going to try and do this the way that we originally intended, this is going to take us two years to record it. Like you know, like mm -hmm. do we really want to drag this for another year? Like we we could have waited for Sam to get his stuff sorted and whatever. And then there'll be, and then Corona, we could, he, even if he was well enough to travel, he wouldn't have been able to travel anyway. So we'd have ended up waiting. He still wouldn't have been able to do it. I'm assuming he wasn't well enough to record vocals in a remote setting or was Yeah, he was just in a place where he was like, I don't have time to okay. think about doing lyrics. And, you, you know, it was like, yeah, 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 he was like priorities had immediately changed when, when you have health stuff like that, you know, like yeah. all of a sudden it's like, I love the, you know, he's been a part of this band since we started. And it was very much like, we understand that this no longer is your an immediate priority. Because yeah. all of us were like really focused on the record, obviously. And like, really like, yeah, okay. But I can understand completely why he was just like, look, I don't want to let anybody down here. So mm -hmm. like, what 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 are our choices? He was like, I'm going to be straight with you. He was like, I don't think I can even commit to writing lyrics or being as involved in it as I need to be in the short term. He was like, if you want to wait, if you want to sit this on hold and I'll come back to it when I can, then, you know, that's great. But we were like, but he said, he also understood that he was like, I understand that you've been working on this album so hard. And there's been so many, like, not problems, but like... Obstacles. There's been obstacles. Yeah, obstacle course yeah. of a fucking process. So he was like, I understand that you've all been really like pushing it on this one. And now you can see the end of the tunnel. I don't want to, like, delay that whole process just because of this. So, like, if you if there is a way for you to continue and finish the release without me, then not go for it. But, like, you know, 
do what you need I to do kind of thing. And, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we were both very understanding of each other's situation. We obviously are bummed that he's not on the record. Like mm-hmm. it's it, it's the first time he's not been. So it's it was, but we all understood each other's positions where it was like this, the, the timing of it was so difficult too because of what was starting to happen with Corona. It was just like right, we either we got to make a decision here now, otherwise this is literally going to drag on for well an unknown period of time at that point to be honest mm. it, uh, in some ways it is sad that um, Sam is not on the record and we wish him all the best and a full recovery very very soon but I I mean the highlight of the record for me I know I've told you this um, privately already but I'd I love uh, Josh's, Josh's voice from Palm Reader on HTV3 yeah it's amazing I just think I, I'm going to confess I would have never have sort of thought to use Josh's voice on a Bosk song. The Johannes no. collaboration is far makes more... Makes sense, yeah. Yeah, makes far more sense. But the Josh one is a little bit left field. So how did that yeah. come about? Funnily, because the you're exactly right. Like, the initial conversation of going, should we get Johannes from Carl Luna to sing on a Bosk song? Everybody yeah. just went, yeah. Of course, yeah, 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 yeah. Is that possible? I was like, yeah. Mm. They were like, yes. It was like instant no-brainer. Yes, we've always... Yeah, brilliant. But the Josh thing was like, we were arg- we're not arguing, but we were debating internally about options for get another vocalist to do it. And it got a little bit like, no one could really agree territory. So like, I sort of shut all that out. And I just, and I just sort of was like, I've always been a fan of Josh's vocals. Mm. On, their last, on their last record, there were some really good bits that I really liked. And I sort of went a bit rogue with it. And I just sort of approached Josh on my own because <laughs> I know him. And I was like, I just spoke to him, like text message was like, oi, what do you think to this idea? Mm. Are you into it? Mm. And I didn't really speak to anybody else in my band about it at first because I wanted, I wasn't a fully sure. I was kind of like, I think this is a good idea, but I don't want to put it to the committee mm. because I was like, I'm just, I went off on my own and was like, worked <laughs> on the lyrics and worked on the concepts with Josh myself without involving anybody else. Oh, right. So you went quite far into it. Before oh, I went way time. into it okay. to the point where he was like, here's a melody. And I was like, okay, cool. And then I said, his first vocal take for the song is the first time that anybody else except for me had heard it. Oh, right. Wow. But, okay. but when you do something like that, you've got you kind of putting your nuts on the line going, I think it should be this. And yeah, when you make a yeah. thing like, it's like oh, I think it should be this, but I'm not fully confident. So I'm going to do it without anybody else knowing. Yeah. And if it rules, I, I win yeah. and it's problem solved. Yeah. But if it sucks, then no one needs to know about it and we'll just think of another idea. Yeah. So yeah. it was like very much like I wasn't sure at first if it would work because also he's never really sung on a song like that before either. I don't think he's ever guessed yeah. it on anybody else's song before. He, he couldn't remember if he had or not. Right. <laughs> Sounds like Josh. Um, Sounds like Josh, yeah. So yeah. the process of working with him was funny because we've obviously only ever worked with our singer. Like, yeah. And he's always been like, we've never really had to give him much. He's been in the band since day one. So he knows explaining what he needed to do isn't really anything we've ever had to do with Sam but like and Johannes instantly you don't really you know we didn't really have to tell Johannes anything we mm. just like here's the song mm. you know how to write songs like this mm. off you go mm. there was almost no direction whatsoever for Johannes it was just like do whatever you want um and like obviously nailed it literally first time so with Josh it was a completely different experience though because we were also a bit like does he know how to do songs like this like mm. does do we know how to do songs like this? Mm. Is the song going to work with that kind of stuff on it? But like that kind of not knowing it and like being a bit like unsure of it actually, I think really helped. I feel like Josh's voice has really improved with every single palm reader. Yeah, I agree. Like, I like... didn't even know he could sing like that. Our yeah, guitar player, no. Rob, who I think probably hasn't listened to palm reader since like 2004 or something, mm. was just like, 
but you can't. That's Josh from Palm Reader. <laughs> I was like, yeah, man. And he was like, sounds like fucking Maynard. Yeah, I was like, yeah. yeah, I know. I was and, like, so you like it then? <laughs> yeah, and one of the things I really love about this song is like it almost it almost feels like a showcase for Josh because almost every single kind of style that he does is in this song. And yeah, it's done. And, that's, and I made him do it. Yeah, I was right, like, do okay. I, he was because he was originally one of the first questions he asked me was like, oh, well, what do you want me to do it? No, what do you want me to sing like? I was just like, what do you mean? I want you to sing like you, man. <laughs> Why do you think I've asked you? And he was like, he was a bit unsure at first, being like, I don't know what to do. He's like, I don't know. Like when he first listened to the song, he was like, I really like the song, but he was like, I have fucking no idea. He's like, I only know how to sing on palm reader songs. And this does not sound like that. <laughs> and he was like, and it's twice as long. Mm, yeah. So he yeah. was like, do you want me to do melodic vocals? Do you want me to do screaming vocals? Do you want me, what do you want me to do? And I was like, I want you to sing on it. Like, you know what to do. Like, I'm not going to tell you. Just do your thing. Like you sing that song, however you want, you, however, how you think it should be sung. And his first take of that first uh, clean vocal bit, I literally had to pause it. Like I was listening to it on headphones and it came in with his first like clean vocal and I literally paused it and was like, oh my God, he's fucking smashed it. <laughs> yeah. It was like four lines in. It was like one line in. I was like, oh my God. I genuinely was like, yes, Josh. You literally, I couldn't have told him how to do it. You know what I mean? I couldn't have, I don't think anyone or any of us would have been like, do this kind of chorusy bit like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we've never had a bit like that so yeah. i don't think i don't think we would have got that result if we'd have tried to steer him in a direction i think letting him just kind of go nuts with it is what made that bit so good i think it's one of his best performances and yeah, so anything. I. yeah i think it's fucking great and it's um i mean I, I really love the whole record but that is a real real standout for me yeah me personally. too and it really made that song too because mm. like before we got the vocals on that song that was the big one of contention because everybody was set on all the other songs like the last song yeah instrumental lira was always supposed to be instrumental mm -hmm. there's the other two like weird noise glitchy tracks and then there's the like, like the ambient the other song so they all sort of had the like tick next to it they were like right that's fine these are all sorted, but what do we do about this song? Like instrumentally, it doesn't work that well because it's, I mean, it still works, but it just, it always felt like it needed vocals needed on it. Else. I can, I can see that. Yeah. yeah. So it was really difficult because we were like, we, and know what? We kind of all started to hate the song a right, bit. Right, right, right. Before we got the, not hate it, but like. It just no, got I know what you mean. When you work like, on something, yeah, when you work on something for so long. Yeah. Um, and we it, couldn't yeah. mix it because the song was supposed to have vocals. Martin, who was recording it, was like, I'm not going to mix the song because you don't mix the song and then put vocals. Like, you need to mix the song with the vocals. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the version that we were listening to before Josh did any recording for it was like all over the place and like levels and stuff. It was like jumbled a bit. It was like a bit muddy in places because there was just too much. Mm -hmm. Some of it wasn't very pronounced. It just didn't sound, it sounded a bit clunky. Mm -hmm. So the song only really clicked into like there we you know it's like you know when you do a safe it's like click the real clicking of the song as we kind of call it when it's like ready then it's like that's the got the sparkle that we want it to have was when we first got the take from John and then everybody was just like yeah there you go that's that's it that's the song it was a really good feeling because like we don't because because we struggled with it quite for quite a while once it finally felt like it like locked into place it was like yes this song rips now mm. i know i mean people like myself and other music journalists and stuff we kind of like to uh, maybe romanticize things a little bit too much but that whole kind of like um making great art through struggle 
It oh, feels... yeah, the classic. <laughs> but it does, it, I mean, in this particular case, it does sound like the obstacles that um, you came up against, you found solutions for them, which might yeah. have made the record better. Better, might, you know, yes. Maybe, maybe. It's no. made it different. So, different, like, the, yeah. the, I, the original concept was, like, let's not do Audio Noir Part 2, mm. which is also a very common thing that bands are like, right, okay, we're going to deliberately not try and write the follow-up to lateralis yeah, or whatever yeah, like yeah. when you i think if you approach that with too much vigor you end up writing an album that's shit mm-hmm. so like you know like arctic monkeys were a great example like am was one of the best like rock records of yeah arctic monkeys following that album with anything was going to be extremely difficult mm-hmm. so instead of trying to write it again they just wrote this weird like 80s synth pop weird yeah. obscure nothing like it album yeah which a lot of the people that liked that one album before, you completely alienated all of them. Yeah, and everybody, you either love it or you hate it. Mm. And we were also very conscious of not doing that. Mm. <laughs> we didn't want to go too far into, oh, this is our, like, and then everyone just goes, it's not as good as your audio noir, fuck off. Mm. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's difficult trying to think about it in that context. And I think all the obstacles and all the problems and all the hard work bits that went into this, ended up with that being achieved naturally yeah. or not necessarily naturally actually <laughs> but you know what i mean the the obstacles made it more original and made it this different album that isn't just a story to another album yeah yeah absolutely it very much feels like that with this and and i know that that um that narrative is trotted out constantly but you know, everyone loves to talk about that and it, it, i think sometimes when bands bands chirp on about how this is their most challenging work to date or any of this other nonsense, it's like that's only that's fine, and I'm sure it is. But like, it, it, I sometimes think that bands are just like I because I, I read press releases all the time of like new mm. music and all this kind of stuff. And sometimes I read I read stuff and I'm like, all right, mate, whatever. <laughs> what is the album like? <laughs> yeah. Well, so you know, what I mean, like some lofty story about this fucking journey that they all went on and. <laughs> whatever right we i get this, all that we have this running gag on the show because like i i read all the press releases i don't necessarily think they're helpful all the time but i read them <laughs> yeah. and steve just can't be fucked to read them yeah <laughs> and like... i can understand why you can't nowadays <laughs> it's like this wordy nonsense about some guy looking for something or whatever like you know what i mean like two yeah. pretend like especially in our world it's like in some senses like Bands sort of like try to add on this extra dimension to their music by yeah. coming up with some like nonsense concept or yeah, it sometimes whatever. feels very tacked on. I have to say, yeah, sometimes always. it is. No. Sometimes it's like, all right, lads, do you want to sit around and write a song about the fucking transport section at the bottom of a spaceship that goes to the space station? <laughs> that isn't what we did. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's not what we did. We went and wrote a cool song that we liked, and then we were like trying to attach a concept to it, but for our own references, you know, like we're not, it's not the forefront. Like Audio Noir in some aspects is a concept album when we wrote it, but the concept isn't the focus of the album. We never really focus on stuff like that because I think if you read too far into the what this song is supposed to mean, Mm. you get like lost and be like, well, what does it sound like? Mm. Mm. I care what it means. Like, you know, I mean, some people don't give a shit about the mad concept about whatever weird. Like some people are like the wall, you know, Pink Floyd, the wall is a concept album. But some people are like, what? Well, anyone what? who's seen the wall, the, the film, the wall, 
I mean, if anything, the concept makes it worse, I would argue. Exactly. Seen that film. Exactly. <laughs> but, yeah. That's literally the best example I can think of. It's like, I would love that album so much more if I could unthink the stupid <laughs> fucking... stupid concept. Yeah. yeah, the concept. <laughs> and it ruins some of the songs. It's why I hate that fucking song. What's that song called? The you don't need no education. Another brick in the wall part two. Yeah, I hate that song. Mm, mm. It ruins the entire album for me because it just but because it's over. You know what I mean? That if you over concept, over conceptualize something, mm. I just my brain just switches off. Mm, mm, I'm like I don't give a shit about this twenty page story about the guy that lived in a mental asylum or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. Cole Luna did it on that Eternal Kingdom album, and I literally was just like, nah, stop reading it. I don't care. <laughs> I love Cole Vuna and I'm going to love this. I don't give a fuck about what it's about. You know what I mean? Like everyone likes to talk about what lateralis is about. It's about some weird concept, but like no one actually yeah. really gives that much of a shit, do they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's all sorts of like um, things out there about lateralis, which are, you know, clearly not true. Some of them, I'm sure some of but them But the are. culty discussion stuff, right? That's mm. almost kind of what I'm getting at. I, mm. I would almost people read between the lines and make, like, come up with their own version of what they think this is about. Well, yeah, quite, yeah. yeah. I think that's much more interesting than being told this is this obscure concept that you now have to understand in order to listen to this album. You need to understand about this. Like, do I? Can Which, I not just listen to it? Yeah, and to be fair, that it, that kind of is what people have done with Lateralis. I think there are a lot of, like, um, ideas that probably weren't in the band's mind no do you reckon they sat around thinking about let's write this about no they smoke weed and like <laughs> this is cool and we're deliberately obtuse with everything like do you remember when maynard used to answer they used to do press in the 90s and like 2000 when maynard would just give random answers to everything yeah i've interviewed maynard and um yeah i mean he was okay with me but yeah he's been but back i remember reading about that stuff in like old kerrang magazines and stuff and he the journalist or whoever would ask maynard a question about the new album and the answer was basically just nonsense yeah nonsense like <laughs> and it was like frustrating as a fan of the band to be like i want to know what this is about yeah, but yeah, i can't yeah. find out he used to conduct interviews in the dark as well I think yeah shit was... like that yeah. i fucking love it honestly <laughs> and like we're not trying to replicate that in some ways but like when we talk about concepts of the record and stuff i don't want to lay too much on it because yeah. the story of the record now is actually more important to us than the actual concept of it now if that makes sense yeah yeah with yeah. this one particularly this it started off as a cool uh, concept that we were going to try and be super pretentious with but then it ended up being this like weird evolving thing so that's actually a little bit more interesting to us now than the weird concept that we had about at the beginning yeah yeah um, we were talking about obstacles earlier and I know uh, this is a massive massive sign of frustration to you but um Let's talk about the uh, vinyl delay and all that sort of thing. You've been quite vocal. Oh, mate. You've been quite vocal about it on your socials, and I know that you wanted to have a little rant at me about it. So um... it's not. I mean, it's not. I mean, it's frustrating for everybody, really, because like mm. the. I mean, I, I mean, record record labels of the size that Death Wish. It's independent, smaller, alternative record labels have really been screwed by COVID. Yeah. Like yeah. on a level that I don't even think that they really quite understand yet, and we're not really seeing the 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 ripples from it yet because because like they basically have lost all their revenue from their store retailers so like when labels make releases you know they, a third of it goes to the band a third of it goes to the label say and a third of it is sold by stores essentially mm -hmm. or online channels or whatever right and all that's just been closed for a year mm. so the problem was when covid hit the the record pressing plants across all over the place were hit with like a uh, like a lull in because no one released any music. Everyone just sort of like the music, no major like everyone sort of stopped. Do you remember like in the first few months, all stuff got like 
paused a bit there was an awful lot of um i noticed an awful lot of um digital releases happening and then it would be the, well, that's essentially what you guys are doing digital yeah. release, and then and then it will be released on vinyl a few months later kind of thing yeah but at the beginning of the lockdown it had this weird like double kick effect where like mm. normal normality stopped mm. and then the records that were the demand for product production of records went down very very mm. sharply very quickly out of nowhere because obviously no one could predict what was going to happen. And a lot of the stuff that's involved in pressing and manufacturing vinyl is as a shelf life. Yeah. Like it uses raw materials that you have to get from places. It's not all made on the spot in the factory. They get their stuff from places and packaging or like the actual materials to make the vinyl itself or whatever. And that all comes from China or all over the place. So mm. all of those supply channels got hit too. So there was like a big like ripple in it where the demand went down and then because they couldn't get any new materials that kind of went fine because there was less of a it followed the dip but then as soon as the world started going back together it went up like five thousand percent where everyone went right okay this album that we've been sat on yeah. for six months is now ready so everybody just submitted at once a huge tidal wave of fucking albums basically like the demand was way past the raw materials that are in stock the amount of labor like that those kind of places it takes a minute for them to get back up to full speed before they can it's a factory <laughs> like yeah and i also a... i also think it's worth pointing out that because um there was a sort of 20 year period where vinyls weren't being made on mass a lot of those yes. factories closed closed down, yes exactly know? that so so there aren't yes. actually that many that many <laughs> around at all and that's why exactly it's in north america got hit really hard so i'm pretty sure Deathwish now use as long with lots of record labels switched to using a manufacturer in czech republic um because the u.s pressing plant stuff got hit so hard jake was telling me a few years ago that he was like there used to be like tons of them there used to be little ones there used to be small ones that were like do diy hardcore seven inches or whatever hmm. you know like small scale manufacturing for independence there was a there was a market for that and there was a there was a set of people that would do that and then all of those kind of closed when there was a like you say when cd and digital spiked no one made vinyl anymore for a yeah. bit yeah and that's when all those places closed and then the demand went up again you know with the introduction of like record store day i think triggered it hmm. When they introduced Record Store Day, it was supposed to help independent stores, right? That was the whole point of it. Mm. But what it ended up, all the major labels ended up buying into it a little bit. And then all of a sudden, Kanye West is doing a record store release and Universal and all these big, big labels were all of a sudden saw the demand for vinyl. And then all of a sudden, you could buy vinyl in Urban Outfitters. You know what I mean? That, that kind of shit. But the yeah, demand went yeah. straight up through the roof again. You can get it in but, the, but there was no physical, the boom didn't happen in the production level. It was only in the, consumer level yeah, yeah so there isn't enough plants to press the amount of vinyl that the world wants right now which mm. is just mental so there's a massive delay on manufacturing at the moment they're talking like six months to make a record right yeah and it's such a particular process isn't it a vinyl you can't rush it you can't it doesn't no. there's no fast forward manufacturing you can't no. speed it up yeah but even from the point of view of like if you have a cd processing plant you can in theory do cds there blu-rays blah 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 yeah i, mean, I know this is slightly redundant exactly. now what we're streaming no, no, stuff, exactly you know what i mean the cds and, are ready but we're only making a small the quantity that we're also pressing is a lot smaller yeah. of them we're not making as many cds as we are vinyl it's like it's like 90 10 yeah, yeah. and death which is a label that relies on the vinyl elements to this business it's like probably most of its it's most of its income comes from that so Jake told me the other day that they've got 20 records in the pipeline that have been submitted 
green light on all the audio, green light on all the, because there's a bunch of like processes to get it before ready for manufacture. Mm-hmm. And they've got 20 releases that are green lit, like ready to go in the pipe, but are not going to be in their hands before Christmas. Shit. Wow. Okay. The level of delay is, I only realized, I knew it was bad. Like I, they told me it was like, oh, it's going to be a while, lads. Don't, you know, don't get your hopes up about holding a Bosco LP anytime soon. Yeah. And at that point, we're all like, yeah, whatever. Let's just get this out. We've been, this has been delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed. I was like, I don't care, really. I was just like, let's just, the sooner we click go, the quicker. We can wait until it lines up, but like, I don't want to. I was like, at this point, I want want everyone to hear the record. We've been sat on it for so long. The next stage of the band can't really start until we do this. Mm. So the vinyl pressing delays is like depressing and frustrating but at the same time if it meant sitting on the album for another six months i didn't want to do that yeah yeah i'm curious how you feel because steve has brought this point up on the podcast quite a lot that like that thing that you were saying about major labels jumping in on the boon with record store day and yada 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 um there are some records which sound great on vinyl you want that kind of warm yeah. um uh, analog feel to it feel to it yeah, yeah. um significant other by lib biscuit is not yeah, gonna exactly. sound great on vinyl there's no, no it fucking i've got point. it <laughs> right, there we go there's no, <laughs> there's no point in no. owning significant other on vinyl and when the vinyl boom sort of kicked in again you know i'm, I'm not against vinyl so i love vinyl but like when it i know in, what you mean though when it kicked in again there was all these like things being re-released that have yeah. this very very kind of digital sort of sound to them and p- putting those albums on vinyl is not going to make them any better at all if anything the quality is going to go backwards i think yes um, see that's a very good point because i agree in one sense but at the same time like i i am <laughs> i'm not a full record collector guy but mm-hmm. i like vinyl like yeah. i have shit tons of it and some of it is to do with nostalgia and some yeah. of it is to do with just overall wanting to own a physical format of albums that you love right yeah, and i think yeah, that yeah. when you talk about vinyl in like the audio sense of like oh it sounds better or it's more blah blah the artwork looks better this size or you know there's so many positives that you can take from stuff like that mm. but i think that a lot of it vinyl collectors like me is you want the like as, as someone that grew up listening to significant like hybrid theory and significant other are great examples yes you're right they don't sound any better on vinyl mm. but i have both yeah 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 yeah. i mean i get it the demand's there i get it yeah yeah the the market is there for people to want that and like mm. i never had a, i never when i was listening to limp biscuit and like new metal in early 2000s or whatever i didn't have a record player yeah, i said it on cd not. no so and now i now as i'm older i don't really i listen to spotify and stuff but i don't own any cds but and i just listen to spotify and vinyl mm. but, but both at different times and for different reasons so I think that the demand has gone up in two levels with that. It's gone up with like people that want to listen to more of their music physical. They, mm-hmm. you know, they have a digital library of everything they've ever enjoyed and everything they've ever wanted. But then they then they have like a found like a core section of their vinyl that they best their albums they love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's kind that's, of how I try to do it. Like that's what I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I've got soundtracks and stuff that I own, like Mondo. You know, the company that makes Mondo the soundtracks, lots of movie stuff. Yeah. Um, I have always listened to loads of movie soundtracks on vinyl, but I never listen to them on Spotify. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Like if I'm going to listen to Blade Runner soundtrack, I put my LP on. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because it's a little bit more engaging, you sit and concentrate on a little bit more. You've got to turn it over. Yeah. You like yeah. read the. Li- it's a little bit more of like a. I don't know. 
Well, I, I just as another example, there is a massive difference between listening to Led Zeppelin four on vinyl over CD. Like definitely, you know. And if yeah. you, if you had the choice, I would say go for the vinyl on that one. But yeah, yeah when it comes to fucking, I don't know, the workhorse movement or something. Yeah. You don't need Sons of the Pioneers on vinyl. Yeah, I don't need the I don't need Power Man five thousand on vinyl. <laughs> exactly, I don't give exactly. a shit. Yeah, exactly. I'm not going I'm not I'm not I'm not hunting down the American head charge. Double <laughs> I'm so glad you got the workhorse movement reference. But, uh, yeah, oh mate. But I will. But I will go spend forty five pounds on a tall B size bootleg. Yes, 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 yes. But, absolutely. For example, or I will go yeah. find the Jisoo and Mono split. Yes. Yeah. Or yeah. something like yeah. I've got records that I like flick through my record collection. Sometimes splits fall into this category a lot because. They're a thing that sometimes have, have quite transferred over to digital platforms and stuff. Mm, mm. So there are some like really weird stuff like, over the years where I found I've got like an Envy Thursday split 12 inch or whatever. I know the one. And like there was a big boom in the early 2000s of bands doing those kind of like I've got a G2 Alluvium split that isn't on streaming services. Mm-hmm. And like every now and again, when you're flicking through your record collection, you're like, oh, yeah, shit. And you pull that out and you're yeah. like, yes. Yeah. This obscure, really weird. No, yeah, that's what I'm listening to now. Like, and that's what I listen to vinyl for sometimes these days because it's like, it's like you can scroll through Spotify. There's too much choice. It's yes. like, what do I listen to? It's option paralysis, it's, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Whereas you look at your record collection, you're like, sometimes if I'm like just sitting down for an evening, just having like a listening to music night, I'll, I'll pick one cube, you know, like in my, like if your storage thing where you're like, right, I'm just going to listen to just anything in just this one. Yeah. You know, I've, I, I've just had this experience because I've just moved house. And oh, that's so, the best way. So that's when you're yeah. like, shit, I didn't even realize I had this. Yeah, 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 exactly. I and, and like, there's so many things that I forgot I even had. Yeah. And so I move it over and then, you know, as I'm unpacking boxes and shit, I just put it back on and I'm like, exactly. Ah, yeah, yeah, this. dude, I moved, I moved house too recently and I did mm. exactly the same thing. Yeah. I was like, fuck, I forgot I had this Mogwai album on vinyl. Yeah, shit. yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's just, it's that's, that's been so nice, like rediscovering my music. Yeah, you don't do that digital you can't do that digitally yeah exactly. spotify tries to do it for you and says oh remember this that you liked in 2014 yes, or whatever yes yeah but there isn't quite anything like you're the what you're trying to describe like you just go oh yeah fuck because mm. when you buy records physically like that you have like a a moment where you're like that's where i bought that mm-hmm. in spotify you're not really like oh yeah i was on the train to manchester and i remember liking that song exactly. on spotify and now <laughs> You know when a playlist yeah. comes on and it's just like some random band, you look at it and go, who is this? You yeah. go, oh, that's cool. Yeah. But that's about it. There's, you've got a physical kind of um, artifact in front of you which which cements that memory in your mind a yeah, little bit. Yeah, exactly. More, you know. But that also adds to the pure frustration of not having boss vinyl for pre-order. You know yeah, I mean? <laughs> yeah, sorry, yeah getting back sake. to the point. But yeah, sorry, so in no, other words, no, no. so yeah, but that, but that feeling and that connection with the vinyl, right, is the reason why people are emailing us, us daily going, where's the vinyl? Right, I get it. I know why. I know why people want to order that. We've had people literally email us, be like, I don't want a CD. Mm. I was like, oh, no. well, fuck, dude. Me neither. I'm sorry. <laughs> but matey from Liverpool or whatever, like, tell me about it. Do you think I don't want to sell you an, an LP? Like, I want to sell you an LP, trust yeah, me. Yeah. There's been people that are just like, just take my money. I don't care when I get it. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I know, but definitely people will. Yeah. So yeah. I get it. I mean, people are frustrated, and but but uh, music fans of people that have been buying albums over the last twelve months, and I'm sure you have. I mean, I bought albums in November and received it in March. You know, what I mean, like, yeah, there's been a fair no one there. likes the feeling of buying an album, being excited for its release, and then going, oh my god, I'm not going to get it until you know, like 
I'd rather wait. We're, at the moment, the basic plan is just to wait until we give people an actual date that they will receive it. Yeah. And until yeah. we can do that, I don't want to take anyone's money because I don't, I know, I, as someone that's bought records in the pandemic myself, I don't want to do that. <laughs> like, I can understand that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, it's going to be out digitally before anyone can pre-order the album. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. before, and unfortunately that's our truth. That's the, it's the lesser of two evils really. It's like, yeah. Do you want to get this out now so people can hear it, or do you want to get this out now so people can buy it on vinyl? Like yeah. people are going to buy it on vinyl whether it comes out in four months or six months or next year. You know, like well, Bosk fans are, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like you, exactly. you, know, you know your audience really, really well, and you know full well that in the long term, this is this is a short term annoyance. Exactly. In the long term, yes. it's not going to matter. And I know, exactly. I know, I know, I'm saying that in the middle of it when you're really fucking fed up about it. But but in, right, in the long term, it's not. Last gonna week, I had a, I had a full tantrum about it. Last week, <laughs> full ta- adult tantrum. Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, just it's, it's frustrating. The fifth message I'd replied to someone who was like pissed off that they couldn't buy something I wanted to sell them. I was just like. Oh. yeah yeah it's a frustrating situation man like it's, but it's i'm proud to have the record out and that was the main focus and it's like you know what next thing is next like you know like onwards like yeah exactly nothing we can do about the last 12 months no yeah. matter what we yeah. however, however much i try and sulk about it yeah like. exactly and the vinyl i'm hoping i mean look i'm not making this as a promise or anything like that but it should be ready i would hope for the december headline tour that you're well see doing. yes i mean at the moment we've got two shows booked before the december tour we've yes. got a september show in london and then damnation in november and then yeah the december tour is really all that matters to be honest mm-hmm. like when it comes to the the vinyl like you say like that tour we will have it by then mm-hmm. for sure mm-hmm. so that's all that really matters to us so it's like that's everything at this point we've shifted the next months or whatever is just about people listening to the album enjoying the album and then when they can come see us in december they'll be able to buy it for sure you know like at this point it's like pick your battles we're going to focus everything on the tour everything's lined up for that to be amazing so that's that's what matters really and you told me the other day and this feels so bizarre to me because i feel like i've seen you guys so much over the last i don't know six seven years or whatever but you told me that this was the first time busk have done a headline tour since 2007 yeah see that's a mental one that isn't it it is uh, it's crazy our drummer and our original drummer nick and rob that 2007 tour i think we played the purple turtle in right. Camden with Kruger. I think it was Kruger tour oh, we did. Kruger. Nice. Do you remember them? Yeah. And yeah. we did, that was Nick and Rob's last tour. They left the band after that. They didn't play with us again until we reformed. But in the six months that followed that, we did do some shows that were headlining, but it wasn't a full tour. Okay. And we did the last two shows of 2008, and those Leeds and London shows were headliners. But I think since then we haven't done, we did one show in Leeds for Audio Noir release. 2016 i think we did a london show i think one point somewhere i don't think i played it but there was one of anyway but yeah nothing substantial yeah and like when audio noir came out we didn't really do an audio noir tour Mm, mm. i don't really remember why but we didn't (laughs) you were being taken out by it felt like you were being taken out by a fair few people i don't know if it was that or yeah we were just sort of worried about um overdoing it a little bit and we kept getting these offers to play shows that were like unmissable. So we had, we started setting this precedent of like, unless it's, it was never really about, with the shows that we were booking then around, around Audio Noir, it was never about money. It was never about like, oh, we're, you know, worth 500 tickets or whatever. Mm. It wasn't because we didn't know. We didn't really care either. So we were only really focusing on playing good shows, mm. whether they made us money or not. Like we were never really bothered about 
headlining in Southampton on a Tuesday to 50 people or whatever. We just never really bothered with wanting to do that because when we were getting offers to play shows that we knew were going to be good, that was kind of filled our needs almost. We were just like, we don't feel like we need to do more than that. It makes it feel more special when you do get around. Yeah, and it was like we did support like everybody for a while. I mean, yeah, but we were also quite deliberate with our show bookings then. We were a bit kind of like... Yeah. We'll go for the one. We'll go for the ones that we really cannot say no to. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And we'll work backwards from that. It's been a long time though, man. Fucking hell. When I seen when I was talking to Hayden, who now books our shows, he was like, first problem is you haven't done any headline shows that matter for <laughs> over ten years." <laughs> yeah. I was just like, "Really?" He's like, "Yeah." What are you playing at? <laughs> and he was like, "Why have you not got a booking agent?" I was like, "Well, because because you just told me you just told me why." <laughs> like, <laughs> He's like, right, well, first things first. He's like, you need to do a proper headline tour. Yeah. I was like, okay, you're in charge now, Hayden. Tell me what to do. So he was like, this is what you need to do. Okay, off we go. The first thing the first thing was that. I think the idea um, of um, you doing a headline tour, though, like, I mean, as you say, you've got very, very long songs in a lot of cases. And yeah. I, I've just looked it up and I appear to have seen you seven times in the last sort of sort of five six years um but i don't think i don't think any of those times are you know have been like a full hour or whatever no yeah we were talking about this yesterday yeah 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 because we've always felt quite restricted but we've always liked the feeling of people wanting people to want more there's nothing like i'm sure you've been see bands like opeth or tool Mm -hmm. or like cult of luna Mm -hmm. or some of those kind of bands that do have those longer songs or like mono is a good example Mm -hmm. or like Bands that you go see on that scale, yeah. then when they do a headline set, it's like 90 minutes or something stupid. Hmm. And like, we were always worried, not worried, but like we were always conscious of like not doing that too much. I'd rather, an hour of anything, I'm 35 years old, an hour of anything I can just about manage, even if I love it. I think anything past an hour of, even, I, I don't know what people are like, in the maybe younger generation, they want to stand there for two hours and watch a band, but I don't personally. <laughs> and none of us really do either. So it's like, if you're going to go watch Radiohead, yes, okay. Mm-hmm. I want to watch mm-hmm. three hours of Radiohead. Mm-hmm. Cool. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to watch three hours of everything. Yeah. And we were always really conscious of that. We would sometimes play one song less on purpose. All right. Okay. Okay. So it would be like, well, we get a 30 minute set. Let's do that. You know, like, I think less is more sometimes. But you want to be like, oh, I went to see. You remember when you used to get the train home from going to a gig and you're just like, you're on the train with your mates or whatever and you're like, oh, they didn't play this or. You know, they're like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the dis- the post-show discussion of like, oh man, I just want to see them do their own show or like, I wish they would do support. I w- you know, like I wish they would, you know, I mean, that critique period after a show that you've really enjoyed yeah. is something that's always been something that we want to have. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Or not yeah. have, but like encourage the thought like that. Yeah, totally. No, no, no. I, 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 I almost every time I see Bosco do get that sense of kind of like, uh, and I mean this in the most positive way possible, but is that it? I need, I needed, I needed more. Exactly, exactly what we want. Yeah, I can, I can totally understand that. Like that feeling of like going to see a band and go, yeah, they played every single song. Like I went to see Opeth once, and literally was like, yeah, it was three hours long. And they played every single song <laughs> I wanted to hear. I can't actually remember what song they played second because it was five hours ago. Yeah. <laughs> or it's like you know what I mean. It's like I get that people want to do that, and I get that yeah. people want to sit and watch Dream Theater for five hours or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, I like. My, my own band we all like it too it's just like the feeling of going oh man i was hoping they were gonna play this and yeah. they didn't yeah. Fuck. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's their I biggest song why didn't they play it i get that that's or yeah, like yeah, that yeah. i like oh but they played this weird cover what was the second song like that kind of like 
having stories about the first time you saw it, you only played this or like having attachments. That's why we try and do different sets for every gig because mm. we know we only play a little bit. Mm. We don't want it to be like, oh yeah, I've seen Boss, they play the same set every time. You know what I mean? We wanted to keep it a bit different and like doing those kind of shows makes you do it differently because yeah, okay, our songs are so long so we can only play some of them, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I totally get that, man. And you are uh, taking out June with you, who are yeah. one of my favourite new discoveries of this oh, year. Oh, mate, I have to say. me too. Um, They're dead good, aren't they? Fucking brilliant, that record. It is yeah. well up there in my albums of the year at the moment. Yes, yeah, um, really good. That was the album that made me want to take them. So, like, we were talking about who to take on tour. And it was a very long internal group chat for about two weeks of everybody just firing band names at each other and i was like frantically writing down this list of bands okay got to about 40 bands and was like right well we only need one yeah. so and, and honestly i was like well these are all us our mates that we've just listed here like these are all just bands we know because mm. we've come across lots of bands yeah. and like we've you know so it was a very difficult thing being like well who do we all want to see every night or who do we all want and it was like became this like really frustrating conversation and then I was like, well, the, basically, I don't want anyone on this list. Like, let's find a band that isn't on here because these all make sense, right? These all sort of fit with what we're on about. But I was like, let's pick someone that we've never toured with that we don't know. That's like a little bit outside of our, like, maybe not outside our world, but like not someone we've played with before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Um, let's try and think a little bit differently. And uh, the I remember, I forget what prompted me to listen to them. There was something, I think they played some stuff. They were something to do with Psycho Las Vegas or something. They did something in America ages ago. Mm -hmm. I forget what it was that put me on, put them on my radar ages and ages ago. I just remember going and listening to, they just released that EP. It's like two tracks. Like the Omega. Omega Severus. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. They just, and like coincidentally, I think they just released that or something. That's, and I remember, that's I remember I heard as well. Yeah, yeah I remember yeah. clicking the first song and being like, oh, this is loads better mm -hmm. than I, and I remember like going through the album before that and being like, whoa, these are sick. And I just remember contacting them being like, hey, like, blah, blah, blah. And then what, I forget which one it was. It was like, oh, yeah, we've just finished our new album. Do you want to like, check it out? And you sent me a link to it. It's, and I literally was like, oh, my God, this. And I remember like, texting the rest of the band and being like, oh, I found them. Mm. I was like, I found the band we're taking. Mm. Yeah. They were yeah. all like, what? I was like, listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> they were all like, yep, that is fucking wicked. It's so good, man. I think it's probably going to be the first opportunity I get to see them. So I'm yeah. absolutely stoked to take and them. Like, the, picking a support band for everybody is always different. Every band I've ever worked with or ever done, every time we've ever talked, like it's a it's a ball like of a process to, mm. to like pick someone that you want that fits the bill that you wanna, you know, either a band you've seen fifty thousand times and your best pals with and you want to hang out with, or something that brings something to the tour, or you want it to be like a package, or you want it to be like a vibe. Yeah. And like, I remember going to see bands back in the day where you would go see ISIS and it would be like four bands you'd never heard of, but they were amazing. Yeah. They, they would, they were always pick within their circle back yeah. then. Like there would always be some like new, like 27 I saw doing that. Or like there's loads of bands that I've discovered through seeing ISIS, right? Mm. They were always really, really good about who they take. Yeah. Well, I, th I think, I mean, similarly, I think um, Converge do the same thing. Also a great example. Yeah. yeah. Converge are great because they, they try and bring in bands that, that maybe that they like, that they think their audience would like. And yeah. We wanted to try and build all that together and like trying to come up with our version of that kind of thing because we could take any, I mean, there's so many bands that sound like Doomstone bands, whatever you want to call it, mm. that kind of post metally world. There's thousands of them at the moment mm. and yeah, loads of them are good and loads of them are good. Yeah. It's like, like at the moment there's a really high volume of tons of bands that are doing really good stuff at the moment mm. 
and uh, it was really difficult, honestly. It was like it was really hard to be like, who do we ask? Where do we start with any of this? Because it's like it was it was difficult actually. I'm not gonna lie. It was exciting and it was quite good because we'd never really done it before. Mm, mm, yeah. So I really enjoyed the process of like finding the right band to take on our first headline tour. It was well, quite a nice. It's like it's like that idea of curation, isn't it? I mean, I remember a bit, yeah. Without sounding like a dickhead, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's all right. I'll sound like a dickhead. It's fine. No, no, but that is this kind of what I'm trying to get at. It was not. It's not. But we wanted to emulate the sort of things that we we'd we'd seen and how we'd got into new bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, essentially yeah. what it is, right? Like, yeah. That's not sounded. We. I mean, we have been doing this for 15 years, so this tour is an important one. This is the most important tour we'll ever do. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that was all very part. It was we were all very conscious of that. So we wanted the band that we took on our support to match that level of like significance almost yeah yeah i mean i, I like just popping back to converge super quickly i remember like the first time i ever saw covell attack was because they supported converge. exactly first time i ever saw kai lesser was supporting yeah converge. same tour my first tour with them that was it okay yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so i saw that was at the ulu and you know like that like both of those bands just fucking blew me away and they were on it i mean the first one i think it was i think it was covell attack first yeah it was covell attack no they was their first tour they yeah it was their like first 6 european PM tour or something yeah, yeah. but they were fucking yeah amazing. i think it was gaza covell attack yeah, gaza, gaza covell attack yeah. kai lesser and converge yeah oh man like that was a 2010 incredible incredible yeah what a, what a lineup you know converge are actually a great example because they always take it's always a bill it's always a package it's yeah. always a thing yeah yeah and that's jake i mean that's jake that's yeah. jake's yeah. brain and like i've always looked up to how that how they do those kind of things and i've spent a lot of time around them over the last well 10 years or so and how they do how they do that is really good and like it's always really interested me and yeah. we've we're trying to learn and i guess implement our own take on those kind of things because at this point of being in the band this long we didn't want to just take our mates anymore you know what i mean yeah absolutely like that no that totally makes sense and like june i i can't think of a better band you could take out right now neither can i we absolutely smashed it with that yeah shout out to them too for doing that tour it's going to be wicked yeah yeah like when we when we asked them the album i don't think it'd come out yet i think it was coming out we'd already we'd already got them in to do the tour once the album sort of dropped mm -hmm. and i don't know i think that the the response then their new album has been really really good yeah which which and rightly so because it is really good but mm -hmm. i don't think they had that level of like whoa this band's amazing um well, and i'm really stoked and that like highlights that we were right to go down that route like yeah. to pick those kind of bands because i don't think we would have quite achieved the same sort of oh my god this band's Bosque is taking June on tour. That that kind of vibe is exactly what we wanted. I remember literally texting. So I forget when it was, which which ISIS tour it was, but like I think they took I think they took Beecher, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What was it Beecher or Johnny Truen or something? I forget which year it was. It was it was in between Oceanic and Panopticon. Mm -hmm. And I remember literally seeing the tour announcement or whatever, seeing the poster in Rock Sound or whatever, and literally getting my shit mobile phone, Motorola flip phone. And phoning Alex from my bat from from Bosque being like, dude, fuck, I think it was Beecher. The fucking supporting ISIS. Let's fucking go. Yeah, that's and great, sometimes man. and sometimes that feeling of like, oh my god, I'm going to see Boss. They're taking this band on tour is exactly the spirit of what we want to try and do. Yeah, yeah. You know, being like, I'm going because this is happening. Yeah, it's the 
that kind of feeling i we all we all grew up going to shows like that and like that's a big part of what we wanted to try and do with that tour especially i think yeah that's awesome man um well look let's just uh, I, I i'm about to say let's finish up although there is actually quite a lot of stuff to talk about in terms of yeah sure man, pro- in terms of future projects uh and future bits and pieces that bosk are doing obviously bosk fans are kind of used to having to wait <laughs> uh if you don't mind me saying so yeah no shit uh, <laughs> cool. um that's but... why the wait for the vinyl should be no surprise <laughs> um but what is really nice to hear is you guys have several uh other bits and pieces going on and i think the wait for new mate uh new music after migration is going to be much 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 less than bosk fans are used to so that how much correct, how yes. much of that stuff do you want to talk about and how much um well at this point it's quite exciting to think about it because the hurdles that we had to go over to get over to get migration at the release date stage feels quite like a weight has been lifted now so yeah we can move to the next stage, which we've which we've been working on for the last like year or so. Obviously, during the pandemic shit, where no one could really do anything, we were all working individually and collectively on new music. Mm. Um, so we have uh, the next. I guess probably the next release will be uh, the following up to the point three DVD thing that we did in in like a series. Of, when was that? Two thousand eight. So we're going to call it point four, mm-hmm. and that's going to be the next release, which is going to be a collection of interesting material should we say that much like it's 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 some new music and it's going to be it's it's a very it's not a full album worth of uh new material but it's definitely going to be an interesting journey um which leads into the next project which is almost uh, we haven't started recording any of it yet but it's the next full album is in the works we've pretty much done 10 out of 12 tracks so the next thing is going to lead into that is the is the plan so we're gonna go we're gonna go for it next year really with music to be honest that's amazing so the plan so obviously this is all subject to change but the plan yeah. at the moment is to hopefully have point four and that follow-up next out next year or is that yeah too ambitious? well point i think the point four release at this point will be realistically out in next year yes cool the, the following the follow-up to that we're going to try and record it next year so amazing trying to release a two out no it's just not possible yeah so yeah and we don't want to we don't want to jump too far down it but the the point four release will probably be finished by the summer cool okay so out out by the out by the end of next year hopefully to get people anticipating that uh release i haven't heard anything from point four yet but you sent me you very kindly sent me a demo from the album that's coming out after that and uh i hope you don't mind me saying i think it's the best boss song i've ever heard so yeah it might be uh so it really oh yeah so that's the other good thing about so the point four release is something that we've always kind of wanted to do yeah and if if it makes sense for us to do that later we can do that later if we end up doing this new full double album before that then so be it like the the point four release is going to be a little bit of a work in progress but the new material that we've got for the follow-up to migration is amazing and definitely yeah our strongest work yeah. so that gives us quite this quite sense of for the first time a little bit of confidence in the band so yeah. we can bring out this album which we're really proud of it's a different direction to the one before it and then this one to follow it will be a different direction too so mm. to be able to follow it with something already that we're really proud of already is great so mm-hmm. that's amazing very, very very positive stuff for the first time in some time I'm so happy to hear that like you're going to be doing lots and lots and lots of stuff because uh like Yeah, it's... we've been really shit at doing lots of stuff. 
That's slow right. moving glacial pace of a band it really. is what it is it is what it is yeah. uh tom thank you so much for spending so my much pleasure. time my with pleasure. me and thank great you for talking giving, about the record yeah thank you for giving us this and all that kind of thing no uh, migration by bosk is out on june the 18th on digital and cd you have to wait a little bit later for the vinyl but um it will be well worth the wait trust me i've heard the record a few times now and it, it really is a great great follow-up to audio noir and everything that we've just been talking about it about it being like uh, uh, still very much a Bosque record, which retains that identity, but uh, but different at the same time is absolutely true. I can absolutely vouch for that. It's uh, great. So yeah, thank you so much for taking the time today, man. My pleasure. My pleasure. Great chatting, man. <laughs>